Good morning. How are we? You guys ready for the word this morning? All right, let's get into it. Exodus chapter 25, if you have your Bible. Next week is Christmas Sunday. And so it's a big Sunday, the 22nd, and then the 24th is Christmas Eve services. We've got tons of services. We're going to pack this place out for Jesus. If you've got other plans on Christmas Sunday or Christmas Eve, just change them. Just break them. Just, you know, text whoever you need to text. I give you permission. Get your phone right now. Break hearts. Do whatever you have to do to be here on Christmas Sunday and Christmas Eve because eternity hangs in the balance. And I know that you rarely invite, well, a lot of people don't invite people to church, right? And then if they're not going to come to that service, they're less likely to invite people to that service. And yet, at this time of year, people who don't know Jesus and don't go to church are more likely to go to church than almost any other time of the year. And so I encourage you to show up with your family, make Christ the center of your Christmas celebration, both on Sunday and on Christmas Eve, and invite people to do that with you. It's going to be great. So I'm excited to get into the word with you this morning. Washington, Germantown, online, so excited that you are here with us. Uh, We are in the last message, last sermon, in a seven-week series on the book of Exodus called Rescued. And so I try to do series in sevens because it's a holy number. I'm kidding, that's not true, all right? That's not true, I don't do that. But this time it's seven, and then we've got a series coming up that is also seven weeks, so maybe I am doing that. We'll see what happens. Uh, But I've enjoyed preaching this series. Have you guys enjoyed this series? All right. You guys have enjoyed this series. That's great. Let me hear Washington. Washington, you enjoyed this series? I heard them. Did you guys hear them here? Man, they're way louder than you guys. How about online? You guys online in your house, hanging out in the car, wherever you are watching online, let us know if you enjoyed this series by just commenting or posting to let us know. I have loved this series because we've gotten to see how something that was written 3,500 years ago still affects our lives, still changes our lives, and I've loved to get to discover that with you. And so the, 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 the fact is, the principle is that God's word is both timely and timeless. Timeless and timeless. I said that backwards. Timeless and timely. And so it's timeless in the sense that it never changes, and it's timely in the sense that it always changes us. And so it's been cool to see that 3,500 years ago what was written still changes us today. If you've, if you've missed any of these six messages, make sure you get them on iTunes or the website so you can understand what we're talking about today. Uh, but Exodus is this epic tale of gods and kings doing battle for the souls and the affections of men and women. It's the story of your life. The same thing is happening in your life right now. And, and, and in Exodus, God rescues the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, out from under the tyranny of the rule of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he does so with signs and wonders and plagues and miracles. And it's just this amazing thing. And then he leads the people to, to journey through the, pro, or through the desert towards the promised land. And on the way in this journey, he's making them into a people from a group of slaves to a, to a holy nation, a nation set apart for his purposes. So we've covered a lot, but I've, I've been giving you some homework to read uh, during the week after we cover the chapters because there's 40 chapters and I can't cover every verse. And so if you haven't done any of that, you got a lot to read this week, okay? 40 chapters you're going to have to read this week uh, for Jesus to be happy with you. I'm just kidding about that last part. But if you have kind of stayed with us or you don't care about what happened in the past and you just want to do it this week, uh, 25 through 31 and 35 through 40. Chapters 25 through 31 and 35 through 40, that's what we'll cover this week. So in the back half of, Mo- in the back half of Exodus, Moses is kind of going up and down the mountain, speaking to God, God speaking to him, and then going down the mountain and giving it to the people, right? Giving whatever God said, the law, whatever it is, to the people. And so he does that a few times. And one time, he stays up on the mountain talking to God, receiving the law for 40 days, almost six weeks. He receives the law, right? And what he receives 
is chapters 25 through 31. That's the law that Moses receives when he's on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. When he comes down, he finds the people that they, the people have gone crazy, right? They've just started worshiping a golden calf. Um, they're partying. It's just this crazy scene, and it ends very badly. There's judgment and all of that, and, and I, I covered that last week. We talked about that last week. God, in his mercy, continues to, to, to go with the Israelites to allow them to be his people in the end. And you know the story, you heard it last week, you've seen the movie, when, God co- or when Moses comes down the mountain with the, with the tablets of stone in his hand and he sees what's going on with the calf and all that, he smashes the tablets, right? In his anger, he smashes the tablets. And so after that whole thing happens, he goes back up on the mountain, he gets a fresh set of tablets, right? Law 2.0, same law, just a different set of tablets. And then he comes down and he tells them to the people again. And chapters 35 through 40 are Moses telling the people the law and them then following that or their, their response to it. And there's a lot in these chapters that we could look at. So make sure you look at it this week with your family, your friends, your life group. There's a lot in here, but much of it surrounds the building of the tabernacle. Building the tabernacle, which was basically the equivalent of the temple in Jerusalem, but before there was a temple and before there was a Jewish Jerusalem. Are you tracking with me? And so remember, the people are nomads wandering around in the desert. And so God says, build me a tabernacle in a certain way and my presence will dwell there. The reason God wanted a tabernacle is because he wanted to be with the people. He wanted to be there. He wanted them to enjoy his presence. And so the the tabernacle was going to be the sanctuary where God's presence physically dwelled. So that's what the tabernacle is about. And it's about God coming down to his people. And the book of Exodus ends with the tabernacle being set up and the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle. And so today I want to talk to you about the glory of the Lord. What does that mean and why does it matter? So that's what we're going to talk about today, the glory of the Lord. Um, But let me read some of this to you, and then I'm going to make just one point, and then we'll jump into what is meant by the glory of the Lord. So we're covering Exodus 25 through 31, which is Moses receiving the law from God, and Exodus 35 through 40, which is Moses giving the law to the people, and the people then responding to it. So look at how Exodus 25 starts. Verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses... Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue and purple and scarlet yarns. And fine twined linen. Goat's hair. Tanned ram skins. Goat skins. Did you guys bring some goat's hair and goat skins today just for the contribution to the Lord? I don't know if you, we'll see, like the ushers will find that in the buckets. But so, so goat's hair, right? Tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense. Onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breast piece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. Okay, and then from this point forward, God gives very detailed, meticulous instructions about how to construct the tabernacle and the things inside of it. And so he talks about the Ark of the Covenant, the table with the bread of presence on it, the golden lampstand, the tabernacle itself, the altar, the court. I mean, this is very detailed. All the way down to the oil for the lamps, what the priests are going to wear when they're in the tabernacle, and who gets to be a priest. He talks through all of that, very, very, very detailed in his instructions to Moses and the people. So then Moses says that to the people, 
and they, they follow it out. They follow the law. They follow what God says in chapters 35 through 40. So we see this go from kind of theory and plan to it actually being carried out by the end of Exodus, and that ends with the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle that they just built and set up. So make sure you read this this week, but before we get into the glory of the Lord and what that means for us, just one quick observation um, that that stuck out to me as I was uh, looking at this for this sermon. Look at Exodus 35. I will read a couple of A couple of verses to you. This has to do with the contributions made for the tabernacle. Verse 4 of 35. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, and bronze. And then he goes on. Look at verse 20. Then all of the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came. Everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart. And then look at verse 24. Everyone who could, everyone who could make a contribution of silver and bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. Look at verse 29. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. So so the God of the universe who owns the earth and everything in it, chooses to build the tabernacle, the place in which his glory and his presence will will dwell. He chooses to build that based on the generosity and the contributions of the people. And this is true throughout the Bible. It happens with the temple. It happens in the New Testament. God has chosen to utilize both the gifts and the giving of his people to carry out his mission. Let me, hear, let me say that again. God has chosen to utilize both the gifts and the giving of his people to carry out his mission on earth. The church, big C church, as in church universal and worldwide, and small C church, as in church local, as in Great Oaks Community Church, we accomplish God's mission because of the gifts and the giving of God's people. God has done so much in and through Great Oaks over the years, has he not? I mean, he has done so much in and through our church over the years. This year, God has done amazing things. This month, God has done some really cool, today, you guys got to see some baptisms. We're baptizing eight people. Isn't that awesome? I mean, God is doing amazing things in and through Great Oaks. That's all possible. That's all possible, including what's going on at Washington, the baptisms that we had there just a few weeks ago, all the new people coming in, giving their lives over to Jesus, life transformation. That's all, that's all happening. That's all possible because Some of you, many of you, are faithful in your tithes and your offerings and in serving in ministry. That's the only way that happens. We won't see life change. We won't see growth. We won't see new families coming in in Washington and in Germantown if if our people, if God's people, don't contribute gifts and giving. And so if that's you, man, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for what you're giving. Thank you for being faithful to serve. Thank you. And if that's not you, if you haven't taken that step yet, if you're, you're kind of watching the work happen and, and maybe kind of showing up a lot and benefiting from the ministry that happens at Great Oaks Community Church, but, but you haven't stepped up, you haven't jumped in, you haven't given, you haven't begun to serve in a ministry as often as you possibly can. Here at Germantown, work one, worship one. Work one service, worship another service. At 
Washington. You, you haven't gotten onto a rotation to make sure that the ministry of Great Oaks continues to happen each week, week in and week out. If that's you, I, I pray that just like the Israelites in, in, in Exodus 35, that your heart would be stirred, that your spirit moved. Not like in a way where you're like, yeah, and then you go home and you don't do anything. The Israelites, they were stirred and then they went home and they got the gold and the bronze and the goat's hair and the goat's skin and maybe you have some goats. I don't know, but you get some of that stuff and they brought it back and they, they began to not only, we didn't read that part, but they didn't just give stuff. The tabernacle had to be built by somebody. It had to be sewn and put together. They had nothing and everybody came together and whoever could sew, sewed. Whoever could build, build. Whoever could create and design, created and designed the thing. I mean, they brought their gifts and it was through their giving. All of that together. And so my prayer is that if that's not you yet, my prayer is that your heart would be stirred, your spirit moved towards jumping all the way in and, and being a person who is faithful so that the ministry of Great Oaks can continue. So much so that you would actually take action that you would like stop at Connection Central and go, I don't serve yet. I, how do I serve? How do I move forward in serving on a team? Or maybe you do serve, but it's like once a month or once every other month, and you, you go to Connection Central and you go, how can I serve more? Because I want to be a part of this. God has moved my heart. God has stirred my spirit. Or maybe it's giving financially. You just haven't done it. So you're going to write the check, or you're going to go online and set up ongoing giving, or you're, you're going to take a step, I pray that your heart would be stirred. God has chosen to accomplish his mission through the gifts and the giving of his people. Take it or leave it, it's just a thought. Let's talk about the glory of God. The tabernacle by the end of Exodus is built, it's erected. Moses puts it together. God tells Moses exactly how to do it. At this time, Moses is kind of the expert in the glory of the Lord, right? He's spent time in the glory of the Lord. His face was shining because of it. He had to wear a veil so he didn't freak out the people after he talked to God. And so he's kind of the expert. And we talked about all that last week. But then look at Exodus 40, starting in verse 34. This is the end of the book of Exodus 34. Then the cloud covered the tent. So the tabernacle is set up. Everything's how it's supposed to be. The cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. Okay. What is the glory of the Lord? Shows up, this kind of a phrase shows up about 70 times in the Bible and it seems like a big deal. So what is, what is the glory of the Lord and why does it matter? I, I'm gonna end up giving you a definition. The rest of my sermon is gonna be a definition on the glory of the Lord the Lord. I'm going to give it to you in three parts. It's going to be a progression, one progressing into the other, and we're going to spend most of our time on parts two and three, okay? We're going to kind of run by part one, and we're going to spend most of our times, time on two and three. I'm going to jump around in the Bible a little bit, but if you're the guy who wants to flip the pages, just get over to 2 Corinthians, Hebrews, and Psalms if you have enough fingers for that, and you'll probably be able to hang with me, or you can grab your tablet, your phone, head over to the YouVersion Bible app. All of it on there, but we'll start in Psalm 19. Psalm 19, just one verse, just the first verse, as we try to answer the question, what is the glory of God? 19 verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Okay, so here's, here's the first part of our definition. God's glory is his splendor displayed. God's glory is his splendor displayed. And I, I think that this is probably the easiest part of the definition of what is God's glory. It's probably the easiest part to understand. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. What does that mean? It means that God is shouting at us. 
He shouts with clouds and the blue expanse of the skies. He, he, he shouts with the rain falling from the skies, the lightning splitting it, and the thunder it produces. He, he shouts with the orange and gold of the sunset. He, he shows us his glory in all of these ways. He shows his glory through creation, right? Fall trees and the the snow-covered mountain peaks, grassy hills, and the ocean as far as you can see. He shows us his glory through stars innumerable, too many to count, and a bright moon. He shows us his glory through his splendor displayed in creation. When your breath is taken away, as you step up to the Grand Canyon and you see the depth, when your breath is taken away at the Grand Canyon, that's God's glory. When you, when you sigh a sigh of relief because a cool breeze brushes against your skin on a hot day, that's God's glory. When you notice the color, the vividness of the color of a flower, or you notice the, how good the rain smells, that's God's glory. He's shouting to you, saying, I'm glorious. Look at creation. I'm glorious. I created this whole thing to draw you into myself. Look at my majesty. Look at my splendor. I'm displaying my glory to you so that you can know me. We could spend a lot of time on this, and I have spent a lot of time on it in other sermons, but I just can't right now. You can see God's glory through his splendor displayed, and that, that's not just creation like out in nature. It's all of creation. So you see his splendor displayed in the laugh of your son or your daughter, in the eyes of the one you love and the smile of a, of a stranger. God's glory is his splendor displayed in, in all of creation. The, the second part of my definition of God's glory for you today is what we've seen in Exodus. God's glory is his splendor displayed and it's his holiness revealed. God's glory is his splendor displayed and his holiness revealed. As we've studied the book of Exodus, God has shown that he is ridiculously serious about his holiness. Has he not? I mean, he is serious about his holiness. When we say all glory to God, or God gets the glory for this, most of us mean credit, right? Like, God gets the credit, not me. Like, we're going to do this, and it's for the glory of God. We mean the credit of God. That's really good. That's great. We're not going to take the credit. We're going to give it to God. But when the Bible talks about the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle or resting on Mount Sinai, or in Acts chapter 7, Stephen seeing the glory of the Lord, it's not talking about God getting the credit, It's talking about his holiness being revealed. Holy means to be set apart, different from everything else. God is the only holy one. He's the only one different. He's the only one that is fully perfect and pure, set apart. And when the Bible talks about his glory, it's not talking about his credit. It's not talking about God getting the credit. It's talking about his holiness being revealed to understood, comprehended by mankind. So what I mean by that is that God is holy whether we notice it or not, right? He's holy. His glory is happening. It is whether we notice it or not. But his glory, when the Bible says the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle or rested on Mount Sinai or someone saw the glory of the Lord, it's talking about his holiness being revealed to a person or to mankind. In Exodus, when when God kind of defined the relationship and he, he told the people that, he's, that they're going to be his people and he's going to be their God and, and they're going to be a holy nation. When he did that, he gave them the law, right? He gave them the law. Why? Because he's serious about his holiness. 
Because his glory is his holiness revealed. And he expects us to be holy. And and this carries into the New Testament, throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. So if if you're not concerned with God's holiness, then you're not concerned with following God. Because it's not like God's holiness disappears when Jesus shows up on the scene. That's not what happens. In fact, Jesus raises the standard of your holiness and my holiness as followers of God. When he starts to talk about how holiness isn't just your outward action, but it's the inward condition of your heart. And so Jesus raises the standard of holiness when he says your desires, your motives, your attitude needs to be holy. Let me... Let me point something out to you in Exodus 40. Exodus 40, at the end, like we, said, like we saw, this amazing thing happens. The glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. I mean, we can't understate it. It, it, it is amazing. But just before that, just before the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle, there's this phrase that's repeated over and over. And it, it shows up all throughout Exodus, but seven times in the 17 verses, right before the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. And it's this phrase. As the Lord had commanded Moses. As the Lord had commanded Moses. So it goes like this. Moses did this part of the tabernacle as the Lord had commanded him. Moses set the tabernacle up as the Lord had commanded him. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Moses did. Over and over and over it says that, and then the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. I mean, these chapters, these 13 chapters, 25 through 31 and 35 through 40, it's just a big, one big exercise in in obedience, is it not? I mean, it's one big exercise in obedience. God is very detailed in his instructions to Moses to give to the people. This matters. All of this matters. The details matter. And God is very, very detailed. And then Moses is very careful to lead the people to do exactly what God said to do. Moses obeys. And then the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. So, because the glory of God, God's glory, is his holiness revealed, that means that obedience to God invites the glory of God into our lives. Would you agree? Obedience to God invites the glory of God into our lives. So, all you have to do is obey. That's it. You just have to obey. The problem is, you won't obey. I mean, all you do is disobey. Not all you do, but a lot of it. I mean, you know what God's word says. You come here on Sundays, you go to life group, you read the word, you hear the word, you know what it says, but you don't obey what it says. You can't do it. You, don't, you can't obey. The Israelites, the Exodus saga, the rest of the Old Testament, doesn't it prove that? The Israelites could not obey. You cannot obey. So, if, the, if God's glory is his holiness revealed, and if that means that obedience to God invites the glory of God into our lives, then you and me are out of luck. We're out of luck when it comes to the glory of God. We can't, we can't do it. Let me show you this from another angle. Psalm 24. Psalm 24 verse 1 says this. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Okay, so the psalmist goes, God is so big. 
He owns the earth, not just the earth, but everything in it belongs to God. And the psalmist also knows that, that God is holy. So in the psalmist's mind, it's like he's picturing God from a distance. It's like God is on a mountain. It's like, it's like God is on Mount Sinai. His glory is on Mount Sinai with the cloud and the lightning and the thunder and the devouring fire. And, and the psalmist is it's kind of picturing himself as one of the Israelites in the crowd at the base of the mountain. And he longs to be up there with God. He wants to be there with God. But he's terrified, and so he goes, who can go up there? Who can go up there? Who can ascend God's holy hill? Who can stand in his holiness? It's a good question, isn't it? The answer is in, is in verse four. It says this, he who has clean hands, and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. This is not good news, is it? This is not good news. I mean, who, who can go? Who can ascend the holy hill of God? Who can stand in his holiness? The answer is, he who is pure and clean. So no one. Nobody can experience the glory of God because nobody is pure or clean. God is holy and his glory is his holiness revealed. And because of that, we know that obedience to God invites the glory of God into our lives. But we cannot obey. We can't do it. We can't obey. We can't be holy. Over a thousand years after the psalmist wrote that in Psalm 24, the Apostle Paul wrote something similar in Romans. He said, we all fall short. Fall short of what? The glory of God. He said, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We can't do it. We can't do it. We want the glory of God in our lives, but we can't obey to get it into our lives. Therefore, we are stuck and out of luck. Thanks for coming. It's been great having you. Talk to you, talk this over with your life group. If you're not in a life group, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I got one more thing to show you about the glory of God. We, you and I, have an advantage that even Moses did not have. Our perspective is different as we, as we look back on Exodus from this side of the cross. Are you, are you tracking with me? As we look back on Exodus, we look at it through the lens of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, and that makes our perspective different. So we know that, yes, God's glory is his splendor displayed in creation. And yes, it's his holiness revealed. Mount Sinai, the law, the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle, all of that. But ultimately, God's glory is his grace proven. God's glory is his splendor displayed, his holiness revealed, and his grace proven. God's glory is Jesus Christ. Look at Hebrews chapter one with me. It says this, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Okay, so this is saying we still listen to the fathers, Moses and the prophets and others. We, we, still read the, we still read and are changed by the part of the Bible that we call the Old Testament. It still changes us today, but we understand the Old Testament through the lens of Christ on the cross because God has chosen to speak through his son. You tracking with me? So verse three. He, Jesus, <coughs> is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So, so Jesus is the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. He's the exact 
imprint of his nature. If you want the glory of God, go to Jesus. If you want to know what God's like, find out what Jesus is like. If you want to know what God wants, find out what Jesus wants. If you want to know the nature of God, find out Jesus's nature. He is the exact imprint of God. He is God, Emmanuel, God with us. Now look at what the next verse, the rest of verse three says. I love this text. It says, after making purification for sins, he, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He, he sat down. I, I heard a guy say this once, and I, I totally agree. I love that Jesus sits down. Don't you? I mean, I just love that Jesus, it's like he's going, it's done. It's finished. Some of his last words on the cross, it is finished. Hebrews just said that he made a purification for our sins. In other words, he paid the price once and for all for your sin and my sin, our lack of holiness that puts a wall and a wedge and a veil between us and the glory of God. He made a purification for our sins and then he went up into heaven, went to the right hand of the Father and just sat down, kind of put his feet up. Done. Finished. It's what led the Apostle Paul to write with such conviction and confidence in Romans 8 that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I thought one Christ follower in the room might get excited about the fact, I heard Washington, might get excited about the fact that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Some of you are still struggling. I can't believe it. You gotta, find, you gotta know Jesus to get excited about this. Not just less condemnation, no condemnation, none whatsoever. Jesus is the glory of God. He finished the work and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. God's glory is his grace proven in Jesus. Listen, beloved. We don't need the cloud anymore. I mean, you may need like iCloud. I know I need iCloud. <laughs> but you don't need the cloud or the fire of God's presence anymore. The cloud and the fire that rested on the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40. You don't need it. As Christ followers, we don't need it. We no longer need the lightning and the thunder and the cloud on Mount Sinai. We, we, don't, we don't need that. Christ has come. God has come down to be with his people. Jesus has saved us. God has filled us with his Holy Spirit. So follow me here. The cloud of God's glory. His splendor displayed, his holiness revealed, his grace proven. The cloud of God's glory now lives inside of us as the people of God. It's not an outside thing anymore. It's an inside thing. We're going to do a series starting in January on the Holy Spirit, seven weeks on the Holy Spirit, who he is as a person of the Trinity, what it means that he lives in us and why it matters. So we're going to talk about that and this and what this means, that now the glory of God lives inside of us. But man, I think most of us, most of us would rather have the cloud and the fire from Exodus, wouldn't we? And most of us would say, yeah, 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 I get that, I get that, Pastor. Yeah, like Jesus is here and Holy Spirit, and that's really neat. But man, wouldn't it be awesome to have the cloud of God's presence every single morning where you just knew he was there and I could just follow the cloud of God's presence around. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome if we were back then, listen, it didn't go well for Israel. 
I mean, it didn't keep them from disobedience and sin and judgment. I don't know why you think it would go better for you. It didn't go well for Israel. My point is that in the end, what you need is total, inside-out transformation for this thing to work, right? I mean, you need total, inside-out transformation. His, his splendor displayed alone is not enough. Otherwise, God would have stopped after creation, No need to talk to the people, no need for the law, ultimately no need for Jesus. His splendor displayed alone is not enough. There are people all over the world who see God's glory in his splendor displayed and worship false gods for it. If you've given your life to Jesus, it wasn't because you saw the stars one day. That may have pushed you towards your creator, but you needed more. I talk to people sometimes and about their testimony. I say, when did you give your life to Christ? And they'll say something like, well, I've just always loved the Lord. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. That's not the way it works. There was a moment in your life where you gave your life to God through Christ or there wasn't. That's, that's the way this thing works. His splendor displayed is not enough. His holiness revealed. It's important. We need it. But it won't do the trick. Remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 24? Who can ascend? Who can go up to the holy hill? Who can stand in his holiness? The answer is no one. No one can stand in his holiness. His splendor displayed. His holiness revealed. It's not enough. No one can stand in his holiness. No one except Jesus. No one except Jesus. Beloved, the cloud won't do it. No amount of stargazing, wilderness walking, and bird watching will do it. No amount of religious activity and morality and whatever level of holiness you think you can attain by good works and discipline will do it. You can't do it. You will fall short. You need an inside out transformation, a total transformation. You need the grace of God in Christ. You need Jesus. You need his grace proven. That's what you need. Ah, there's so much more that we could talk about when it comes to the grace of God and the glory of God. There's so much more, but I'm running out of time. So I'm going to leave you with just one more verse, one more passage of Scripture, and one more thought. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This whole chapter in 2 Corinthians 3 is 18 verses, and it's all about the glory of God. So read it this afternoon to understand a little bit more about the glory of God. But the Apostle Paul is talking about the grace of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit since Jesus has resurrected. And he says this in verse 12. Since we have such hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant... That same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. I don't have time to explain all that, but if you've been here for the Exodus series, some of that should make sense. If it doesn't, listen to the Exodus series, do your own research because I don't have time to explain. Verse 15, yes, to this day, whenever Moses, the law, is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is... The Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Look at verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. Okay. We... As Christ followers, we behold God's glory, the glory of the Lord, 
And by beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next into the image of Jesus Christ. So how how does spiritual transformation happen? Does it happen by you looking at yourself and going, well, I don't measure up. I don't know enough of the Bible. Still got problems. I got anxiety, I got anger, I got lust. I don't trust God enough. I want to break that guy's face. I just cussed at a car that was driving down the highway in the left lane, only going five over when I wanted to go 20 over. I just flipped out on my kids in the minivan on the way to church. Again, I don't measure up. We all with unveiled faces, by beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from one degree of glory into the next, into the image of Jesus Christ. How do we become more like Jesus? Is it by looking at ourselves, realizing that we don't measure up, and just trying harder? Is it by doing? No. It's by being. It's by beholding his glory, his splendor displayed, his holiness revealed, and his grace proven in Jesus Christ. You don't go to a place. You don't go to the tabernacle or the temple. You go to a person. You go to Jesus. That's where you go now. You go to Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Learn who he is and what he's like. Move closer and closer to Jesus. That's where victory and freedom are found. Now, sin is disobeying God's commands. And God is very serious about sin. It says he he hates sin. And so knowing where you fall short... Because you want to be more like Jesus. That's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, if you, don't, if you don't care about the commands of God, following them or not, then you don't care about following Jesus. Because Jesus was clear, if you love me, you'll obey my commands, right? So knowing where you fall short and that conviction and godly sorrow, those things are, are not bad at all. But the question is, what drives you? What drives you to follow the commands of God, to live like Jesus, to accomplish his purpose on your life, are you more driven by your shortcomings and your sin? Or are you more driven by the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ shown in the cross? One way produces helplessness and hopelessness and eventually legalism and pride and failure, while the other produces hope, transformation, victory, and you becoming more like Jesus. Ah, may our hearts be stirred. Not towards some religious task list, not toward some self-made glory plan. May our hearts be stirred towards God himself beholding his glory, towards Jesus. May, May we be stirred to simply behold his glory. You know what that looks like? It looks like turning off the TV and picking up the Bible. It looks like cutting back on all the stuff in your life, the activities and whatever, for a couple months so that you can refocus on God. It looks like turning your phone all the way off for 24 hours straight so that you can have undistracted time with God and family. May we be stirred to behold his glory and in so doing be transformed from one degree of glory to the next into the image of Jesus Christ. And may that lead us to obedience. Obedience, not not in order to experience God's glory, not in order to see God's glory, but because we already have. At all of our campuses, Germantown, Washington, online, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for your word that is both timeless and timely. As always, my prayer is that whatever was of me would be quickly forgotten, would fall to the wayside. Whatever's of you 
would be remembered and would, like a seed, find in the hearts of many good soil, would go deep, take root, and eventually bear fruit, maybe, maybe even quickly, maybe even today. God, we, we long to behold your glory, and if we don't, I ask that you would draw us into that, that you would give us a desire to see you and be changed by that. God, that we would long to see your splendor displayed, your holiness revealed, and your grace proven. God, I pray that this moment, this service, that it would just be a refocusing moment. As we move towards Christmas this next week, I pray that it would be about you and your glory. That what matters would matter and what doesn't wouldn't. I pray for the people in this room who have yet to give their life over to you. You are not the leader and Lord of their life. I pray, God, that today they would accept that grace proven in you, Jesus, and that they would make you Lord, that they would follow you, that they would ask you to transform them. And God, they would be the next ones getting baptized next time. We love you. We give all this into your hands. It's in your name that we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Here's my prayer for us. May creation lead you to see God's splendor. May his truth lead you to see his holiness. And may the manger, the cross, and the empty tomb lead you to see his grace. And above all, may we be transformed by God's glory. Thank you so much for coming today. Make sure you talk this over with a life group. If you're not in a life group, that just means you haven't gotten plugged into Great Oaks yet. That's okay. We'll get you plugged in. Just stop at Connection Central. We'll get you into a life group as soon as possible. We've got prayer workers at the side that would love to pray for you. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, tell somebody you came with. Talk to a prayer worker. If you need prayer for anything, stop by. We're out of time, so we're not going to sing that last song. They'll play as we leave. But as always, my challenge to you is to leave here not dismissed, but sent. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. Next week is Christmas Sunday, then Christmas Eve services. Let's pack this house out, grab little boxes on your way out, 60 per person. God bless you. See you next week.